and looked over your paperwork and I think we should immediately start a full battery of tests. This is what pisses me off. The toxic fucking environment that nurses have against other nurses. So, and I'll see you on that. <laughs> that fucking pisses me off because the way that I look at it, when you become registered, you experience two, three years under your belt, you, you are not really required, but you know, it's kind of expected that you share that knowledge and experience with the new upcoming nurses and try and help support them to become fully fledged, appropriate, skilled, uh, competent nurses. What's going on? My name is Gio. And this is me, LJ. And welcome to The Assessment, proudly part of the West West Network family. Cool. You feeling, you feeling ready? You feeling zen? I feel ready. You know, in the, in the words of Chandra, you know, I feel like I'm in the moment. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about yesterday. I'm yeah. thinking about being in the moment. In the moment. You know? So, man, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah? I'm good. Enjoying the holiday. I hate you that you're on holiday, <laughs> honestly. And I say this every time you go on holiday, I'm like, I can't believe you managed to get holiday again. It's very hurtful, very hurtful. But um, we just released our first episode. Well, we've we've recorded our first episode, mm -hmm. and we've got some. We've got a question. Yeah. So maybe we can answer that now. That sounds good. So I'll pull up the question. So the question is basically, and it's an interesting question. Yeah. The question is. And it's, it's from an anonymous. It's, it's an anonymous question, so I'm, I'm not going to tell the person okay. who asked the yeah. question. So we have two questions. One of the questions is, um, where is it? What does mental health care look like from a mental health nurse themselves? Good question. Good question. Deep question. It's a very deep <laughs> question. Because it's, yeah. it's kind of the whole premise of this podcast, yeah. right? It's, it's kind of like talking about our perspective on the delivery yeah. of mental health yeah what do you think i mean um what i'm thinking if you don't mind just read it for me one more time yeah so, the so i can so the yeah. question is what does mental health care look like for a mental health nurse themselves yeah yeah it's a deep one it, yeah and i've got a feeling each nurse probably would have a slight different answer mm -hmm. it, you know depending on um because one thing I noticed of mental health nursing is everybody has different experiences, different placements, you know, even though you work in the same setting, um, even your caseload is different, you know, the people on your caseload. So that shapes you, you know, your past experiences to where you are and how you're practi practicing and I guess influence your answer. Pull, pull the mic a little bit closer to you, my friend. I think that's get a little bit. Cool. That's it. Awesome. That's the one. Yeah, so mental health, what does it look like to us? It's, I, I, in a way, like I thought it was a very straightforward question, but now that I'm sitting here with you, it, it's actually a very difficult question, you know, because what it looks like to us, I mean, we treat people with diagnoses of schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, schizoaffective, which is a combination of schizophrenia and a mood component. We, we, treat people with depression, you know, we see people with personality issues, antisocial, borderline personality, you know, histrionic, you know, I can just go here and name all of them, you know, yeah. but we have a wide variety yeah. of, of different people. Yeah. And my perspective of it is basically, it's hard as shit. <laughs> <clears throat> definitely, definitely. See, as soon as you ask the question, there's two things that come to mind, you know, kind of 
you know, how do you answer that question from a personal perspective, mm. you yourself as a person? Um, but then also, you know, versus you, you know, what's your expectations from them or what's the expectations from your employer? Because your employer's expectations, like the DHP, for example, have what they call episodic cares, which automatically influences um, the care you provide. Maybe explain a little bit to people what episodic care <clears throat> means, because I think that, that's a word that used quite frequently. Yeah. And actually in all health settings, not, not yeah. just mental health. So did, did you want to explain a little bit? Yeah, episodic no, definitely. Care? So my take on episodic care, which is kind of more coming from my employers, you know, kind of different from the employer, the DHB, is they, they use the word like, a um, you know, you come in as a specialist service, as a, you know, a, a person specializing in mental health, supporting that person on their journey of recovery. But basically getting people in the community, for example, community services like NGOs, family um, involved to help that person long term live a life of recovery. So you, for example, have an aim point to discharge after all these kind of uh, interventions and medication, all those kind of things come into place. Um, and let's say, for example, so you have people kind of come in the service all the specialized interventions come in, you do what you need to do and then discharge and that's where the GP takes the primary cares with all the supports. And then at the same time, people come in as service. So it's people come in, interventions take effect and I guess discharge. Yeah. So it's almost like a revolving door sometimes as well. I was just about to say that. <laughs> and, and personally, yeah. I don't like that view, yeah. you know, because the revolving door and the way that it's explained is you do what you need to do and then you have them out, but you allow them to come in quite easily again. Yeah. Well, yeah. as I'm of the thinking, if we can do a job really well, we won't need that, yeah. that readmission or that return through the revolving yeah. door. But I think that opinion is a, a very hard one to maintain yeah. because that yeah. takes a lot of resources, a lot of time. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, with our, you know, having to care for up to 30 people plus on our mm. caseloads, mm. sometimes that becomes very difficult to manage, you know, because in, in, in the, you know, in honesty, trying to follow people with that amount of people on your case, you try your best to provide the mm. best care as possible, but you're always limited for time. Because you need to finish this person, and then oh no, you've got to visit another person. Oh no, you've got to visit another person, <clears throat> and you and you you, and it's not that we're doing the bare minimum. I think we're trying to do the maximum amount we can within that mm. time frame that we're given. Mm. Um, and 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 I find it difficult. I find it hard because mm. we have that staffing issue. We we talked about yeah. quite uh, not probably not extensively, but we did talk about it in the last podcast that. Staffing has always been an issue, you know, and because of staffing, we have to have more and more mm -hmm. people on our caseload, which means we have to split our time more and more mm -hmm. f for more and more people, you know. So we have no choice but to sort of roll with this sort of um, idea or this model. It is a model, yeah. actually, this yeah. model of care, which is the revolving door. Mm -hmm. Now, I get it. You yeah. know, I get it. If you had to put it down to resources and time. The revolving door makes sense. Mm -hmm. But then from a client's point, from what I can see, is that you come in and the next thing you know, you feel like you're being rushed out yeah. through the other door. Yeah. You know? And, you know, so for example, like you'll, as you say, I have a high caseload, let's say 30 people, but then each week uh, you get new referrals come onto your caseload, you know? So it's, it's a person you have to kind of get to know, form the relationship, see what's actually 
going on? How can you help? What's important? But then if you don't, for example, discharge, your caseload just gets higher and higher and higher. And then questions is asked, you know, why is your caseload so high? <laughs> and it's like, you well, know, and so then you're sitting yeah. there like, well, I'm trying, but it's not like we can just discharge people yeah. Yeah. when they're not ready. Exactly. But yeah. then that's the question. When are people ever ready for discharge? Now, we have a group of people that are keen to get out of services, yeah. Yeah. you know, for whatever reason, yeah. whether it's um, uh, they don't want to engage or they don't believe the system works, yada, 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 you know, all these other factors. So you have that group of people. But you have another group of people that actually want to engage. They want the treatment. They want the supports. Yeah. They want the yeah. therapies. You know, they want the follow-ups. Mm. Um, but at the end of it, you have to rationalize the interventions that you're giving. Mm. Is it effective? Is it not working? What do we do next? Yeah. And Recovery, and they tell you this all the time. They tell you this coming through nursing school. They tell it in your postgraduate, you know, postgraduate year, that recovery does not have a time frame. No, and it's usually so individualized. You know, person by person, each person has a different journey. You know, and uh, you know, so it's unique to that person. You know, and yeah, a absolutely. Yeah. You know, so how do you <clears throat> get someone out the door? And, and I don't mean that in a really bad way, like we're trying to kick people out of the mm -hmm. service. But how do you prep someone for discharge when we can't really tell at the time whether they've had enough support or follow-up that's around them, you know? Now, we can put supports around people, referrals to this, referrals yeah. to that, follow-up from external services to help, you know, bring in a, an entire package of care. But sometimes that's not viable, you know? And what I've also noticed is even if you, for example, let's say the private sector NGOs comes in with community support workers or family and GP, everybody plays that role. A lot of people are hesitant to discharge from the service because they feel it's almost like a barrier of support, not a barrier, it's an element of support. So they know that just touching base with you once in a while, you know, it's on the right track, you know, and, 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 and you know, so it's hard to discharge a person if they you know don't necessarily want to be discharged you know mm. or, or don't feel ready to discharge but you're kind of like it you know fly a little bit <laughs> that's, yeah that's the scary you know? part yeah. you know as clinicians <clears throat> we have to at some point test that out mm -hmm. you know test putting someone out there into the world with as much skills and as much supports as possible mm -hmm and see what comes from it, yep. you know? Um, sometimes it doesn't go so well. Sometimes mm -hmm. they do get referred back and they need extra support or top up here and there. Um, and some people thrive, you know? Yep. Some people thrive for years and years and never come back into the service. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to, it, it, but that's where it comes down and you captured it really well, yeah. which is it, everything's very individualized, yeah. you know? There's no sort of, you know, oh, we'll use this one intervention and yeah. that's gonna be for everyone exactly. and, and it's cool, you know? Yeah. Everything needs to be patient focused. You know, and, and that's the hard part, mm. you know, because there's so many different ways mm. of getting someone to this point of needing discharge. But it takes time, I think. And, and that time factor is, I guess, the, the difficulty for yeah. us because we get pressured from. Uh, is it fair to say pressure? Um, we get more expectation. Expect expected, maybe expected. Fuck it. It's <coughs> pressure. It, it's pressure. <laughs> pressure yes. You know, it's pressure, you know, that we have to move people on. And, and there's reasons for that. Yeah. You know, we have a limited amount of resource and we need to be able to spread that around as much as possible. So, yeah, it, it, it is difficult. Mm -hmm. So it, I guess to go back to the question, yeah. you know, what does mental health look like for mental health clinicians? Yeah. It is a long 
drawn out journey with multiple deviations in that path with occasional speed yeah. bumps a lot of fuckery <laughs> yes. a lot of fuckery <clears throat> from this that and the other mm. um but eventually if everything goes to goes as planned and that's a plan in collaboration with the the person that you're you're yeah. supporting yeah. if that comes to fruition and goes as planned mm. there's always a, it's amazing outcomes that come mm. from that yeah and like for me on a personal so this is more on a personal viewpoint um i see it more me as i'm going to use the word facilitate facilitate so i see myself as facilitating the journey of recovery so i'm you know meet the person and i i'm a strong believer that each person has a different story to tell it comes down to the nursing model you know the title model so basically saying each person has had a journey in life therefore they've got a story to tell and as a nurse it's important to understand that journey because that's where often a lot of the you know trauma or the stress you know or all those kind of things come so if you understand that story i guess the interventions and the support you put in place hopefully would be in a, a more effective kind of supporting that person and then it's me seeing myself as facilitating it walking side by side that person um you know to make sure that person is is kind of I guess I call it recovery, you know, kind of recovering from, you know, um, from from the distress and from everything, that, yeah, from like, life, yeah, yeah, and and, the, and it is life for yeah. a lot of these people, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's their daily life. Yeah. So in an, so that's your that's that's yeah. your view. Yeah. So that's your personal view. Yeah. What's your professional <laughs> view? Because because a personal view. <clears throat> that, that's a dime a dozen. Everyone has a personal view on what mental health looks like. Mm. You know, everyone has their own journey, like you mentioned, which influences the way that they look at the world. But mm. this podcast is focused on people that work within the system. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So if you can, w- yeah. what is your professional view, do you think? Um, so professional view, um, uh, it basically is supporting a person on their journey to recovery with the aim to make that person independent you know, um, you know, with the treatment, you know, taking medications and things and, you know, bringing in the correct supports in place mm-hmm. so that person eventually can be discharged and, I guess, supported in the community and family and mm. friends. Yeah. No, that, that, that pretty much aligns with what I think too, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's not an easy journey no. for a lot of people, you know, and some people are still on that journey five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years on. You know, and how it makes sense, like it's, you know, we've spoken in the last podcast is even student nurses coming through. What is our role exactly? You know, mm. um, so I see it more kind of like they used to with so I'm a case manager, you know, which means I manage the case, you know, so each client that comes in effectively gets a treating team. So it's a nurse and a doctor usually assigned. And, you know, see, that's where you make sure, for example, the mental health acts are up to date, the prescriptions doing the appropriate referrals, meeting that person on a regular basis, which is more kind of a professional sense Mm. of support. But then how I see it is, yes, I'm a case manager, but I'm also a registered nurse. You know, I'm a nurse specializing in mental health, you know. Mm. Um, So that's where, for example, it comes down to that mental health nursing as, as a as a speciality, you mm. know, kind of doing discussions around, you know, what is the diagnosis, you know, 
um, early warning signs, predictive factors, stressors, all those kind of things. The classic oh, psychoeducation. Yes. Our favorite, favorite part of the job. An assessment. <laughs> which is trying to basically explain to someone that you have schizophrenia, but that person believes to their core that they do not have it. So it's like, it, I find, you know, now that I say it out loud in that way, it sounds ridiculous, you know? And I think, you know, you know, you, you, we talk to a lot of people about kind of what we do. And it kind of segues perfectly into, and you mentioned students. So that kind of segues perfectly into the next question. So we kind of talked about in, a, in the first podcast about students being unprepared for their placement in mental health. Mm. The question is, why are students not prepared for placement here at knowing how difficult and confronting it could be? Giovanni, so I often think, you know, with mental health, it's so close to home often. You know, I guess a lot of students coming through are triggered through, for example, what they experience on placement, whether it comes down to family violence, I guess um, even things like addiction often plays a big part, um, you know, and then it's all those things, you know, uh, people divorced, you know, losing employments, accommodation, finances, and even a diagnosis like schizophrenia, you know, if a loved one has something that is so impacting it, you know, students coming through it, it can be quite provocative. Mm. On the other end, I also think there's a lot of stigma associated with mental health. So I guess a lot of people, for example, um, and that's what made me smile in nursing school, you have to practice to have conversations. And I thought to myself, why on earth would you practice to have a conversation, <laughs> you know? Still remember I can talk to people. <laughs> I'm, I can talk to people. Uh, I can remember sitting and, and practicing a conversation with my, you know, the other student. How nurse. awkward is that? That is so it's random. It's so awkward. So, so for people who who yeah. haven't done <clears throat> nursing school, one of our assessments, because you went to a different nursing school to me, yeah, yeah. but one of our assessments uh, through, uh, I think the paper was called Therapeutic Communication. I don't know if they still run that paper now in, in the nursing school that I did, but it was called therapeutic communication. So that's basically teaching you how to engage with clients on a personable therapeutic level, yeah. you know? And part of those assessments, one of those assessments is role play. And I fucking hate role play. I really, really dislike role play because it's either I take it too far or I'm not engaged enough. There's no middle ground for me, you know, like especially if I'm playing the actor you know, the person who's got the, the diagnosis and has to sort of respond to my mm -hmm. colleague who's trying to do an assessment on me. So we have to do this this assessment where the uh, a person would sit in front of you. They already have a script. You have no idea what that script is. And your job is to try and tease that out and ask questions and, and be personable while, A, being recorded by a camera, <laughs> which which adds, like, if you are anxious before that, you know, now you know you're extra anxious because there's a camera recording. But you also, there's a two, there's a one-way window, one-way mirror. You know you know those mirrors that's oh, like yeah. in, in yeah. police movies where they're, the suspect is in the interview room and then there's a mirror and on the other side the police officers are listening yes, yes. to them and watching them at the same yeah. time <clears throat> so there's that so and we know there's other senior lecturers on the other side assessing you and it is the worst feeling in the world like i that is anxiety provoking <laughs> you know 
but but uh. but but they do. They try and teach you how to have conversations, yeah. and yeah. it's and it's a very different kind of conversation. Yeah. You know, it's it's like you're talking with someone, but at the same time, you're trying to relate. You're trying to build rapport. You're trying to be respectful. You're trying to acknowledge the cultural differences and the cultural norms for them. <clears throat> and at the same time, you're doing an assessment. Mm-hmm. You're assessing them at the same time. Yeah. So it, it's a skill. Yeah. It's a skill, yeah. Ver- it's a skill slash art yeah. to it. Yeah. You know, that's why they, they call it like the, the art of nursing. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, the nursing skills. Yeah. And so, you know, so now you have student nurses coming through, mm. you know, after they, you know, um, but then some of the some of the I guess um, criteria is just to have a discussion with a person you know on, on you know maybe somebody with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder and just to have a conversation you know talk about your day or anything and you know I noticed a lot of student nurses get so anxious and so nervous they basically just sit there and don't know what to say they you know freeze. and they freeze yes because it's confronting it's confronting i mean Im- imagine the students you know i mean for pe- people out there imagine you're your person coming into a placement for mental health for the first time and your precept either myself or, or lj <laughs> tells you it's your turn now it's your turn now to go and do an assessment yeah. you yeah. know just have a conversation with, with the person you know and obviously there's certain aspects we want you to to assess and, and try and find out and then to have like students, and it happens from time to time. A lot mm. of them are actually quite good, yeah. you know. You know, yes, they start quite anxious, and then they start to build confidence as it goes on. But there's some that just sit there and freeze, you know. And then it's like, oh, hello, what? <laughs> how, how are you today? And that's the conversation. Yep. Yeah. And they just yeah. shut down. And I just think, oh yeah. man, yeah. their prep work. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the prep work or just it's 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 not that they don't get prepped. I just don't know if it's enough to get them ready for the kind of work that we do here. And that's why I wonder if it's element of stigma, you know, because often you see these movies, you know, that's quite out there. And then I guess if you don't have any experience in family or anything like that, it it be, can be confronting. But I always tell the student nurses, you know, don't let the diagnosis define the person, you know, it's, it's still a person, you know, mm. it, it just basically diagnosis kind of grouping a, you know, a, a similar kind of symptom that, um, so it's it just, you know, and and something I also say to student nurses, a lot of people have been in the service for many years and they've seen many students come and go and I usually ask permission or I always ask permission before, you know, asking a student nurse to, to have a discussion. So mm. it's nothing unfamiliar for a lot of the people we work with, but student nurses, you know, Quite yes, scary. <laughs> it, it is. And, and like, like I said, it, it's very confronting. Mm. And you also mentioned it before. A lot of them, there's a lot, there may be a lot of crossover, a lot of things that may be a little bit too close to home, mm. you know, personal experiences, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. But we all have that. Mm. We all have our history. We all have different levels of trauma. We all have our own anxieties. I mean, I mean, me and you have been working this job for long, so long, but there's still times where I get quite anxious before meeting with certain mm-hmm. people or leading a group or leading a discussion or sort of being out there and sort of having to put myself out there, mm-hmm. you know. But it's finding that way to get over yourself and realize we're not here for you. Exactly. We're not. I'm not I'll here say. for me. Yeah. I'm here for a particular reason, and it's to care yeah. for this client and yeah. or to sort of figure out what we can do for this client. Mm-hmm. And I think once students get their head around that, you know, and they start to understand a little bit more about 
this is okay this is what i need to do this is you know it's it's mm. beyond me no one's actually giving a shit what i'm doing <laughs> you know <laughs> we're actually focused on the client and trying to get what what this person wants and i think once they get through to that and we've had plenty of students mm. come through and they just mm. evolve into this amazing mm. amazing sort of clinician some of them end up coming to work with us exactly yeah you know so it, it is I, I think the prep is you know it is there but there's a lot of other biases that they come with which impact their mm. initial view of mental health, you know, like movies, no. like the stigma, in, you know, out there in, in the world right now, like news articles mm. of a crazy dude doing this, that, and the other, you know. Your preconceived ideas yeah. all play a part in sort of a person's ability to sort of engage, mm. you know. And something I've also noticed coming through placement, so... You know, when you do nursing school, you're exposed to different settings. You know, you'll get, for example, um, mental health or addiction or, you know, children or older adults. So different places just to kind of give you a taste of different settings. Um, and I've noticed sometimes preceptors make or break a placement. So, you know, like for me as a, as a nurse, I enjoy working with student nurses. I... I want them, I, I enjoy kind of, um, you know, helping them grow in that, you know, that profession. And, you know, sometimes even if you don't choose mental health, nursing is a career path, but just having a good experience, just understanding a little bit more about that nursing, you know, I think it's valuable experience for your future career. But then I also notice some nurses, for example, it's, you know, whether it's workload or what's going on at home or just a combination of a lot of things, not necessarily keen on precepting but then is expected to precept student mm. nurses and you know I, I i feel for the students sometimes because you 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 pick up on these kind of things so they're the worst yeah, they're the worst yeah, so now I, I i really enjoy teaching students because it I, I i gain a lot from it too because it actually shows me what i need to learn up more about mm. Because you won't, you don't actually know shit unless you can explain it to someone. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I get caught out a couple of times, and it's kind of like, oh no, I do know this, but you know, just a refresher. I just need to refresh myself on on certain questions, you know. Um, but I've got a story. It's a story time about how a preceptor actually almost broke me and uh -huh. almost <clears throat> decided that where I work now was not for me. Yeah. Let's so, hear it. Let's hear it. So story time. So it was going back to my new grad year. I just started. I think my preceptor, I had met my preceptor that was going to take me for my first rotation. Very nice lady talking, you know, got along quite well. But she had to go and leave the following week. So I had a week of orientation, kind of got a rough understanding of what the services does and stuff like that. But still not a deep grasp, yeah. you know, just, just kind of basically a, a superficial understanding of what, what community nurses do, community mental health nurses do. Yeah. So she takes a week off and... Everyone's struggling to sort of find me a preceptor for the following week. So they give me to this nurse, you know, I won't say her name, but you will know who I'm talking about as we go along. I'm sure a lot of people who I work with would understand who it was. So she comes across a very nice, very mindful, <laughs> <laughs> very mindful, very grounded, you know, very experienced, which she was, mm. excuse me, very experienced. And then she kind of tells me this, that, and the other. And then she goes, hey, I'm, I've got a doctor's appointment. Do you want to come sit in and experience what that looks like? Mm. I hadn't been in one yet. So I was like, cool. I'm keen to absorb all of this. Go down with her. Have a chat. So when I sit, 
I, I sit in a slightly defensive sort of posture. So I, I kind of sit back with my hands kind of like uh, enmeshed like this, you know, like mm. like clasped together. Yeah. And I'm usually I usually have my leg like um, folded over, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of like sitting with my leg folded over. Hearing the doctor's appointments and, and, you know, just hearing everything, learning so much, seeing what the doctors do and sort of the interactions and the treatment plans and the, you know, the deeper assessment and discovery and trying to find all these different aspects to help formulate a plan and, and a support plan. Um, in between that, I'm, I'm, you know, I find it hard to sit still. I don't know whether I've got some undiagnosed ADHD <laughs> or some shit like that. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I switch my legs from time to time. Not all the time, you know, mm. probably like every like 10, 20, 20 minutes, I'll kind of like switch over. And then so finish that. I, I was quiet the entire time. I was sitting in the corner quite, quite you know, away from the assessment, but enough where I can hear and, and still be present. And then we kind of finish it off and then, you know, thank thank the patient, the client for allowing me to be part of it and kind of went and we went back upstairs to the office. So this nurse comes and grabs me and pulls me in and, and, and says, I have to have a talk with you, a very serious conversation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, OK, um, interesting. Sure, sure. Um, should we go into one of the meeting rooms and, and have a chat? No, no, no. We can just have a chat here mm. in the middle of the office oh, with no. everyone around. Yeah. And, and <clears> she <throat> kind of sits right in front of me, very, very like, like, like overbearing, yeah. you know, like standover tactics in a way. And, mm. and, and she talks to me about, you know, it, during the meeting, you, you switched your legs over, you know, two or three times during the meeting. The meeting was an hour long, by the yeah. way. <laughs> two, you know, two yeah. or three times during the meeting. And I feel that kind of disturbance could have really disrupted the the therapeutic environment which I tried so hard to create prior to to the meeting starting. You know, so I think you need to be really mindful of that. So let's do some mindfulness exercises right here, right here. And and, and let, I want you to close your eyes. And, and and so me as a student, being very inexperienced, very green, yeah. is sitting there getting basically getting told off by this nurse and and don't 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 um get me wrong it, it's not like she, the way that i'm explaining it it sounds like she's trying to help but her tone was very different mm-hmm. her tone was very um punitive yeah yeah, yeah. very dis- very minimalizing you know not not uh, you know not trying to um su- not supportive mm-hmm. very you fucked up yeah you fucked up and and i need to fix this fuck up and so we sit there for like another 20 minutes and she fucking does this mindfulness bullshit um, exercise with me in front of everyone that's in the office. And everyone in the office is looking and, and wondering mm. what the fuck's happening. And and she kind of then kind of says like, oh, you know, I know you've just started here, but maybe community isn't for you. Maybe you need to consider other options. Mm-hmm. And she kind of just left me to my own devices for the rest of the day. And that, to me, as a person who's never done community and starting out and I'm trying to find a job, mm-hmm. right? So the new grad year is you sort of being exposed to different areas of mental health, but you're not employed yet. You know, you're, you're employed for that year, <clears throat> but you have to apply for jobs after that year. So I'm trying to, set, I'm trying to sort of set a good example or, or have a good impression for people. Mm. And she just fucking ruined me. Man. Absolutely yeah. ruined my confidence, yeah. my my excitement for the job, yeah. and everything else that I was just trying to sort of just just be a part of it. Yeah. Now, I really seriously considered fucking moving. You know, I really considered just because me and you had just met, but we weren't really as yeah. close. I was just someone new. You were there like about a year before yeah, me, yeah. 
and 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 I was just in the space of just absolute shit, you know, because mm-hmm. she was supposed to be a person that's supposed to help guide me and support and sort of get me prepped for the role. But she fucked that over majorly. Mm-hmm. And I and I was seriously considering to quit. And then I just told myself, listen, let's just get the week done, wait for my normal preceptor to come back, and we'll see how I feel as the six months progress. Because it's yeah. six months, no, five months, sorry. Five months stint here, and then you have another rotation and another five months mm-hmm. there. So the second, so third week comes along, and the, my preceptor comes back. And then and then everything turned out great, you yeah. know? And, and I'm really grateful that I ended up staying. You know, me and you have yeah. made a very close connection. You know, we're con- we've continued to have a bromance for I'm seven, eight, seven years strong, stayed. you know? But but that's the power of of your preceptor. Exactly. They will fucking make you. They will either make you feel amazing, confident, ready to tackle new challenges, and and knowing that there is a future for you in that field, or they'll make you fucking leave nursing in part <laughs> it's overall career change. Just fucking change your career and you become a fucking you know something else totally unrelated. You end up becoming a plumber, you know. <laughs> Not there's anything against plumbers, but it's totally a different field from nursing, you know. And you know, I'm I'm usually an optimist, so I see this, you know, as you know, I guess traumatic as it was for you at the time. But I see it as an, as, as a moment for experience. So I'm I'm actually have a question: Is do you think that moment influenced how you precept or tutor student nurses coming through today? Absolutely, definitely. Once you have a bad experience with a preceptor, <laughs> you will try your best. If if you're a good person and yeah. you genuinely care about, you know, the students that you that you precept, you genuinely don't want them to feel that way. I would I would like to say I'm a very good preceptor. You know, I've got excellent not to toot my own horn, but but actually I'll toot mm. both our horns, yeah. actually. We have had amazing feedback from our students that we've had over yeah. the years about the experience that they've had, the enjoyment the amount of learnings that they've had, you know, and that, and, and you were right, that moment. And and I remember it clearly still too, because I remember the embarrassment. I remember the embarrassment, <clears throat> the anxiety, the absolute drop in my confidence and my self-esteem and almost, almost breaking me. Yeah. And I remember that clearly. And this is like going back seven years <laughs> almost, you know, but that did yep. stick with me, yep. you know, and that has definitely influenced how I treat students, how I treat um, new grads, mm-hmm. and who I, you know, who I, uh, who I precept, mm-hmm. you know. Because, because how I see it as a preceptor, you help shape that student nurse, you know, and the career forward. And feedback is important, you know, but it should be constructive feedback, not necessarily making you feel like a piece of shit or, you know, um, <laughs> which we could <laughs> easily do. You, yes. That's the thing. The preceptor has so much power yeah, because that they can say one thing and you are fucked. Yeah. And then you have to placement drag, hangs on it. You know? But you have to drag your ass back in there every day to finish your placement because yeah. it's yeah. a requirement. You have a certain amount of hours that you need to fucking finish. Yeah. You know, you, your story actually made me think of a story as well. Hit me, hit me with your story. I, yeah, so it was also in a new grad year, my second rotation. In first rotation, was well, second rotation, but now my first community experience as a psychiatric nurse. And I, it was a nursing, um, what was it, like a nursing meeting, you know. So 
nurses are uh, kind of like encouraged to have nursing meetings once in a while just to talk about some fun nursing is this the, kind is of... this the monthly nursing yeah. meetings that we have yeah okay okay and i remember you know i'm new to the team and we're having a nursing meeting and i'm sitting there but some of the topics was quite fascinating that the nurses brought up and spoke about and i thought to myself something i need to do is gain a bit of confidence have a bit of a voice nursing is a practice giovanni so you know you you keep practicing at the things you're not as good at confidence all those kind of things and i thought okay i'm also going to contribute to the discussion you know so i i remember that uh, my preceptor had 30 clients that um you know she was working with precepting me and i had 15 but the preceptor is responsible for the 15 on my cases as, as well kind mm -hmm. of having to oversee that but the policy actually says if you're a precepting nurse your caseload should be reduced so that you can compensate for you know the person you're due, you're, you know you're, precepting, you're precepting and, yeah. yeah and that wasn't the case so she had 30 people she was working with and the 15 on me and so it was basically 45 people that, you know, she had to kind of oversee and help me kind of along. And I brought that up, you know, I, I brought that up as a discussion and things, not necessarily to, to, to complain about it, just to kind of raise the awareness, you know, because we were talking about workloads and all those kind of things. Just a big FY fucking I for everyone in this fucking meeting. You know, just yes, to know this is what's yes, happening, yes. you know. And everybody, you know, received it well. I was glad I said, you know, had my say. And the meeting finished. We all went back to our desk. So we've got an open plan office. So I went and sat at my desk. And as I kind of wanted to carry on with work, the team leader walked up to me and screamed at me in front of all my colleagues, like on the top of her voice, screaming that if i have problems with how she runs the shift that i need to come and talk to her in person i should not embarrass her in front of her colleagues and red in the face screamed at me and i remember just sitting there on my chair kind of shrinking away and then she turned around and walked back to her office and still remember sitting there like what just happened i've never experienced this before in my life very embarrassed because all my colleagues are sitting there just looking at me and how do I repair this? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming through a placement. This is my team leader that I report to. I didn't mean to offend her by, you know, at all. And I just remember walking up to her office and apologizing profusely. But thinking back on it, you know, why I apologize this to, I guess it's more to um, dampen the fire, you know, so... You know, so that I don't get kind of, you know, picked on or bullied or anything like or that. Or singled and out. Yeah, just to, to smother the flames. So I just <laughs> went and apologized and, you know, and I walked away from there feeling like this is so unprofessional. I don't know how this person even became a team leader. And and that's why I asked the question. It influenced my practice. So, you know, as a, as a, as a tutor, I would never scream at a student that's in front of everybody. You know, it's it's important that the feedback is constructive. That feedback was not constructive. So I guess that's something that stood out to me. This is actually a perfect thing because we were talking earlier about starting new segments of the podcast. And I wanted <clears> to start a segment about things that piss me off. <laughs> right? So I think this is a perfect opportunity because you've just made me think of something which really fucking pisses me off. Let's see it. This is what pisses me off the toxic fucking environment that nurses have against other nurses. 
So and I'll see you on that. <laughs> that fucking pisses me off because the way that I look at it, when you become registered, your experience two, three years under your belt, you, you are not really required, but you know, it's kind of expected that you share that knowledge and experience with the new upcoming nurses and try and help support them to become fully fledged, appropriate, skilled, uh, competent nurses. So when you have someone who comes across you and because you had a discussion or you brought up something, you know, something quite relevant even, that you go fucking screamed at in fucking front of everyone. It that makes my story feel like a fucking pushover, actually. But but it's it pisses me off because it happens everywhere. It happens. It's happens, it happens. It's happened to me coming through nursing school when I, I had a good idea that I wanted to come into mental health. And I was pretty settled on it. And a common question you get asked out on the field as a student is like, oh, where do you see yourself, you know, nursing, blah, 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 blah. They, and then as soon as you say mental health, they treat you like shit. They're like, oh, that's not real nursing. Oh, really? You're just going to waste all your skills and go to go become a mental health nurse. And it makes you feel like shit when really it should be the opposite. You should be encouraging people. Wow, that's an interesting field. Why? Why do you want to go there? Ask some questions about it. Don't just fucking shut us down and make us feel like pieces of shit because it carries on. You know, you see it in those really old school fucking nurses. And that's what I wanted to elaborate on you. I wonder because you used to it old school. I actually wonder if it comes down to a form of hierarchy. Like nursing is, a, is, a, is an older profession. It's been around since the... I, I'm actually thinking the World War II, even maybe even before that. Florence so, Nightingale, brother. Yes. Florence Nightingale. So there was an element of hierarchy there. So I can remember speaking to some of my colleagues saying those beds on the wards and stuff had to be made perfectly, otherwise there would have been consequences. So I'm wondering whether it's a form of hierarchy passed down generation. A lot of the younger nurses coming through now, especially now since the new grad programs came in place, don't have that intense kind of hierarchy or intimidating kind of old school type so that's just something i was wondering whether it can be a form of that or is i think it just nurse, individualized bend out if, I you, don't know. if you speak to people who were trained before um before it became a mixture of practical and academic and it was the nurses who got trained in the hospitals lived in the hospitals and the old you know, psych trained wards. trained on the hospitals you know, it was very militant. It was very militant. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. You do as I say and do it exactly how I wanted or else fuck you. Yeah, especially I think the matron. <laughs> that, 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 but that was the attitude. Now, 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 not every nurse turned out that way. We know plenty of nurses that exactly. got, went through that and, and became, became amazing, amazing nurses. But that's because they moved on with the times. Yeah. They adapted, they evolved, they changed. Yeah. It's the ones that refused to fucking change, refuse to fucking take on this new, this new view of nursing. Refuse to acknowledge that you don't have to be trained in the hospital. You know that you you that's what nurses are. Nursing has changed dramatically over the years. Yeah. You know, um, and I think those old school nurses see that dying and are desperately holding on to what they know and what they understand. And by doing that, they externalize their anger and frustration and they shit on people. They absolutely fucking shit on people. I've seen it happen. I've experienced it myself. 
And that's why it pisses me off. Some of the fucking nursing culture out there is so shit. That's why we have a high case of bullying. <laughs> there are fucking articles upon articles upon articles of fucking bullying in nursing school. Yeah. You know, not nursing school, sorry, but but in 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 hospitals by mm. senior nurses, you know? Because a lot of them are just fucking assholes, you know? And that's not who you want looking after your parent, looking after your brother, your sister, your grandparents. And Giovanni, like part of me, you know, realized that a big part of your day you spend at work. And if you are in an environment that's positive and encourages you to be in a space where you're comfortable and I think your work output, for example, the way you practice as a nurse gets influenced, you know, from your workspace. So if your manager is supportive and you're able to kind of talk about concerns and stresses and you feel support that you can go out in the field and you can actually go and make a difference where if you feel bullied at work, you're not in a good headspace and then you have to hold or work alongside people who's also struggling. It's not easy, you know. It's bullshit. That's what it is. Yeah. I'm getting really animated and fired up about <laughs> it, you know, because it's bringing back my past traumas <laughs> and it's making me angry. But I can't believe that, sh- that that person fucking walked up to you in the middle of the fucking office and screamed at you. I know. but Not, it's, not it's, a stern talking to, not like a very passive aggressive conversation but fucking screamed at you like i i, I can't imagine I, i'm not a manager i'm not a coordinator right but i know that that's not how you fucking deal with shit you know and it must have taken you a lot of fucking power to hold back and just not turn around like fuck shut the fuck up yeah i think there was a, a lot of element of shock to be honest, because that's fair. It was a normal day coming to work, you know, and I'm sitting there. I we just did this nursing meeting. I'm at my desk. It's a professional setting, and suddenly that you know, it's not a colleague or some, you know, somebody disregarding. It's my team leader, the person you report, you look up to. She's kind of guiding the shift that does this. So it was definitely a lot of shock just sitting there, like. What just happened? It's so surreal, I can't explain it. That's the person that's supposed to be leading the fucking team, you know? (laughs) Fucking hell. But then it's it's like, that says a lot more about her than it does about anyone else. Mm. That shows me a lot of anxiety, low self-esteem, you know, just knowing that the only way that you can get your point across is intimidation and fucking shock and awe and screaming. At a new grad, I'm, not yeah. even a nurse that's been there for you know for a while and, and sort of understands the dynamics, but a new grad who all new grads are ignorant. They don't know the fucking culture. They don't know what to say, what not to say. All they want to do is get through their new grad program year, get a job, become a nurse, and fucking nurse for as long as they are able to. And in your new grad year, you you don't want to piss people off especially your team leader you know so well you want a job <laughs> you want a job you know what you, I mean? wanna, you want a job and employed. that team leader take makes a big has a big say in that yeah you know but that is not uh, that that's such a shitty working so environment was, bro yeah just i'm sorry that yeah. happened to you man but giovanni thinking about this you know it's the same as what happened to you, you now having to sit in the office space, everybody looking and doing mindfulness, you know, in the quiet, holding hands. I don't know what that was looking like. But <laughs> it was it was not pretty. I can tell you that much, you know. So, oh, man. I don't know what I would have done. I don't know what, what I would have done if, if someone walked up to me, especially a team leader, and started yelling at me for, for nothing. 
no 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 real reason for that and think about it with a health in a health setting as well and not even my colleagues did anything you know they all just sat there it happened walked off manager was there you know you can't you not see this or hear this and you know and then you have this big movement saying you know bullying is not okay you know and that same person would probably say that to you um none of those people deserve to wear <laughs> pink exactly on anti-bully day because all because if you're not doing a bully if you're not saying anything about it then you should just you're, you're just as bad you know but i'm very open to constructive feedback because i think you know if the team leader was insulted or pull me in the office just have a frank discussion with me you don't have to make a scene in front of a lot of people i will definitely be receptive to feedback but um that's a power play though that is that wasn't really directed at you though doing that in a public area is actually a message to every motherfucker that can hear <laughs> that's what i think i think she went out there with a the purpose to fucking put you in your place which is ridiculous which is fucking ridiculous that deserves a fucking complaint you know, serious fucking complaint. Almost like a human rights bullying fucking take it all the way to the Geneva Convention complaint. A conduct complaint. Fucking hell, you know. Yeah. But what I learned from that is how you, you know, speak to your colleagues, you know, especially about feedback. It's important, you know, it has, yeah. it's impacting. You have to be able to take constructive feedback yeah. though in this job because you receive so much of it. <laughs> you, you receive so much constructive feedback about what you need to do, what you haven't done and what, you know, what could possibly happen. And you have to be open to that. You have to be open to sort of taking that on board and adjusting. You have to be able to adjust the way that you do things, the way that you see things, because you don't know everything. Mm. You know, you don't know everything. You, you know, you haven't experienced everything. Mm. And you need to acknowledge the wisdom of people that's been there for a long time. Mm. You know, mm. I don't know if people really respect our wisdom because we, <laughs> we're kind of like the dopes of the fucking, <laughs> fucking office, though, aren't we? But, but my point still stands. Yeah. You know, I think constructive criticism is important, and you know, and that's what I'm pissed about. Mm -hmm. That's what I am absolutely pissed about is the toxic culture, certain places, mm -hmm. of the nursing field. Mm -hmm. So beware, people who are looking to fucking do nursing. Mm -hmm. You you may or may not, but you may mm -hmm. highly likely may run into some very fucked up people. Mm -hmm. You know. I just wonder, you know, because it's public seven state settings, whether this is across all sectors, like police, you know, Tamakioranga, all those places, or is it unique to nursing, you know, like... I think there's bullying everywhere, you know, but I think, I think the nursing culture is a, a synonymous for it. Synonymous? Is that, am I using that word right? Fuck it, I'm using it now. Mm. It is, is well known for their bullying culture. And we kind of touched about it a little bit about maybe the history of nursing, how mm. it used to be quite militant, blah, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. But that doesn't make it okay. There's yeah. no reason out there that sort of gives you the right to fucking go up to someone and scream at them mm. at the top of your lungs as an in intimidation effect, you know? Fuck, I don't know what I would do if someone did that to me. And Probably to be, cry? <laughs> you know? To be honest, I'm actually wondering about it because now I've had, you know, you know, eight years of experience, um, and I'm a strong believer bullying is not okay. I'm fully employed though, and I'm not in a vulnerable position like what I was, kind of coming through into. We're always vulnerable. Always vulnerable. Always vulnerable. I emotionally, just, I emotionally sometimes wonder to myself, how would I have approached that differently? You know, how would, would you? I... That's a good question. With what you know now, your experience now, 
the amount of work that you've done with people, the amount of leadership roles you've taken, you know, um, preceptoring is a leadership role. Level three, you know, yeah. how would you respond if a team leader, you, you, let, let's say that same team leader came up to you and fucking screamed at you right then and there? What would your first reaction be? Um, shock, probably. Again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, is but, this happening to me again? Why is it always me? <laughs> I, I probably would ask if we can go speak in private, but I'll be calm, mm. calm, cool, calm, cool, and collected. Mm. Um, just to kind of you know not have an audience, you know, so you kind of remove that, or you know, power play kind of thing. Mm. Um, in that moment, I probably will keep it brief. Just say it's not okay to scream at me. What's actually going on? Just to understand what's the concern. Afterwards, I'll, I'll talk to my colleagues, you know, mm. just to see some moral support, but I'll probably go through with a complaint. Um, Fuck yeah. But, you know, with a, with, a, with a complaint through the DHB, you know, complaint rather system. than through the team. Yeah, it's an incident. Man. But even that is stressful because, you know, you'll still be your team leader. Yes. You know. So the dynamics. And now you're... Is different now. There's a complaint now. in progress, you know, so you need to have the inner resilience to go through with a complaint and have the appropriate supports to support you through that. And The unfortunate thing would something. be you would probably, if the complaint was taken seriously and then there was mediation and there was no way of actually coming to some form of um, resolution, one of you guys would have to move temporarily. It would be you. It probably would be. Which, which is sad. Yes. Which is really yes, unfortunate. Yes. Because you know? I'm expendable. Yeah. 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 And that is a very tough fucking pill to swallow. Yeah. There's many nurses out there. <laughs> there, well, there, there. There's thousands. Yeah. Unemployed too. Desperately looking for work. Mm. You know? Um, and, and that's a, like I said, that's a very tough fucking pill to swallow. You know? You do amazing work and you like to think you... You are, you you know, you are an important part of the team, but you are in no fucking way inexpendable. Inexpendable? Yeah. Unexpendable. Inexpendable. Inexpendable, I think. So even you, you are very much expendable. Expendable. It's because even a small example, if you don't have a practicing certificate and, you know, which is up to date, that next day you are not allowed to work or practice as a registered nurse. Yes, um, not, not, that, uh, not that it's ever happened to me, <laughs> ever. I have always been up to date with yeah. applying for my certificate every year, yeah. which reminds me I need to double check when mine is next due. Um, but yeah, we, it's, a sad, it's a sad fact to know because you, you want to feel important. You want to feel acknowledged for the hard work that we do. And we do fucking hard work. Mm -hmm. We all do fucking hard work, you know? Um, but to also realize that if you cause enough shit or ask the wrong questions or rub someone the wrong way, mm. um, as a figure of speech, not literally rubbing someone the wrong way, you will pretty much, you're expendable. Now you have the unions and all this stuff mm. and it'll be good to get someone in to talk about the union stuff. You yeah. know, that'll be really interesting. Yeah. But at the end of the day, there are hundreds of nurses out there that are willing to do your job, you know? Um, and that sucks ass, you know, yeah. that, that is some major fuckery right there, man. Because the thing is, I must say the team I'm working in at the moment is really good. So I've not experienced any of that kind of, not yet, not recently and not yet. When I become your boss, that's the first thing you I'm going to fucking do. I'm going to walk up to your desk, 
What the fuck do you think you're doing? (laughs) Just whack my stuff off my table. No, fucking whack your head. (laughs) Bang. Listen, you fuck. Didn't I tell you to make my coffee a flat white, not a fucking long black? What the hell? (laughs) But, you know, because there's not as much of that in our current team that I know of. Um... You know, I actually look forward to coming to work in the mornings. Like it's, it, you know, it, I can come to work, I'll make my coffee, I can start the day. And sometimes I feel like I'm making a difference out there, you know, in the community. Mm. You and me both have had jobs in the past where you do not look forward going to work. Oh, easy. You plow through your job and, you know, it, it kind of breaks your soul after a while. So, you know, mental health nursing can be very rewarding you know, if that bullying culture is not as prominent and if you have the right supports and the right team is the important thing. So you can actually do what your, you know, your true passion is to supporting people with mental health. Difficulties. I, I do think it's getting better. You know, I do think, especially in the last, well, from when I started, I've only experienced that, excuse me, fucking all this Coca-Cola. <laughs> I've only experienced that one bit. Since then, I've had very positive experiences with with a lot of colleagues. I've had professional disagreements with people where it got heated, but at never at no point was it you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. It, there's never been that sort of experience for me. Mm-hmm. Um, some people argue that there's been elements in the job that we do where people would take advantage or sort of do that, but me personally, mm-hmm. I have not experienced that. And, and maybe I interpret certain things differently than others, um, but I don't think that I have been bullied since that mm. moment in my new grad year. Mm. Now, I have also worked very hard to make myself very uh, intimidating to others. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm very loud and I'm very in your face and I will fucking tell you what I think right then and there. But I do it in a way where it's not, in a bullying sense, you know, because I don't want anyone else to mm. feel bullied. But I, I do think it's getting better. Mm. You know, I definitely do. Um, you, This is probably a great opportunity for us to talk about our previous jobs. Yeah. Because me and you had some fucking, <laughs> fucking fucked, fucked up, fucked yeah. jobs. Yeah. Sorry to sort of emphasize that. But we have had jobs where it it really could have been so different who we were as who we are as people and how our lives would have ended up. Did you want to start or did you want me to start? Um, I can start. Why not? Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell us about your, your job yeah. before nursing. Yeah. So when I came to New Zealand from South Africa, I ended up in a bakery, you know, working as a baker's assistant. And eventually over time, over a five-year period, um, doing a, a certificate in baking, craft baking. So I'm a qualified baker. But that was a lot more for, at that moment in time, you know, pay the bills, you know, aim of, was to get residency as well. But then after a while, you know, after that, I wanted to pursue nursing. And at that point, I resigned at the bakery and I wanted to get all the work I do as a related experience to nursing, you know, to put myself in a better position. So started working in a rest home, you know, which is, you know, full on care for, you know, uh, older adults. Um, I actually had a lot of job satisfaction there, um, you know, working with, with, with the elderly, but 
it was hard work you know it was full comfort care toileting showering um you feeling all those kind of things but and and the, and the pay is not that great it's fucking horrible horrible pay yeah <laughs> it's fucking horrible um, dude <laughs> um so you work long hours with with minimum rate um from there i worked um for addiction rehabilitation facility which was quite nice you know in a sense of um it was a well-established area you know learned a lot around addiction and i could actually understand addiction a lot better which also kind of you know because caring you know nursing is you know basic is caring which is where the rest time came in a lot addiction understanding addiction and how it influences mental health and the people's lives you know mm. that was valuable um but from there started working in um as a community support worker for um a local ngo non-government organization kind of um people experiencing traumatic brain injuries but it was more as a rehabilitation coach so you kind of help that person with cooking cleaning budgeting shopping how to access the community so teaching them how to live yeah basically. which is very good how to live in society yeah um lots of you know behavioral kind of elements from that as well um and i guess from there i moved into nursing yeah but doing nursing placements and things and then mm. yeah yeah oh, i started my first ever job that i can remember was working for my uncle in Tonga um, at the shipping yard, unloading and loading containers from ships, and that was a fuck, <laughs> that was a fucking job. I didn't. It's not until my later years I look back and I think that was a fucking dangerous job that I was doing. I was unqualified, unskilled, and I was fucking about most of the time. And I am very surprised that I survived the entire thing. So I came here. Um, but I enjoyed it though. It was it was a fun job. You know, the guys were cool. You know, it was a, you know the guys made it fun. So moved into moved to to New Zealand, and my first job here was a community support worker for older adults, um, where I would sort of look after people in their homes, shower them, give their meds, prepare their breakfast, and get them ready for the day, and then move on to the next one, and then kind of provide cares and stuff like that. But because I was a male. I got all the very difficult ones, so people with quite advanced dementia, who are aggressive, people with PTSD, you know, some gnarly, difficult people out there, you know, but but I respect them because they told themselves, I want to live at fucking home, and they are making it happen, you know, they fucking probably can't walk properly, they find it very difficult to shower themselves, they can't cook for themselves anymore, but they are working to keep them, they, they're trying their best, you know, and that was a very traumatic moment, uh, job for me because as you work in older adults you deal with a lot of death mm. you know and i remember uh, specifically one job i had a, a client that i was i was he was on my case for like a year maybe under a year um fucking deaf as anything mm. <laughs> he's so deaf so like i every morning i'd have to go and prepare his you know his medications and stuff like that and get his meal prepped and get him ready for the day and then th that's kind of where i'll go and i remember it, it's not unusual for me to go there and knock on the fucking door and just fucking knocking knocking knock because he's deaf you know you have to <laughs> fucking make noise knocking knocking fucking like but this particular day 
he wasn't answering and I was knocking for a good 10 minutes and I was like, you know, I'll go around the back, you know, knock, 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 knock on his bedroom window. And I was like, oh, well, this is odd. It's not usual like him. And I kind of walk around and I, and I look to the um, living room um, door and it's sort of like the, the living room is those glass doors that you can see in and the curtains aren't closed. And I was like, oh, that's a bit odd. I'll peer in. And I see my my client lying on the ground it's sort of like half in the living room, half in the hallway. And I'm like, fuck. Oh, my mm. God. You know, something's obviously happened. You know, I'm knocking and he's not responding. And I'm supposed to know where the spare key is for emergencies. But my mind was so scrambled and I was so anxious and so sort of like, you know, like, oh, my God, I have to Shock do something. I have something, to do something. Yeah. I fucking kicked down his door. <laughs> I kicked down the living room door. Fucking glass smash everywhere. But I was like, <clears> fuck, no, I just need to get in there. Kicked down the door. His purse, his fucking house alarm goes off. And I'm just like, oh, my fucking God, get oh there. I can see he's, he's, he's still, he's semi-conscious, but he's not, you know, he hadn't passed away. You know, and I, it's cold. You know, and then I put, you know, I tried, I grab a blanket, warm him up, put a, try and get something to, you know, for his head. I call the ambulance, do all these things, you know, called his son. Son rushes over because he lived not too far mm. from, from his house. You know, and then we're trying to, you know, then all these things, you know, big uproar. Neighbors come out and we're just fucking just, just trying to deal with this. And then, you know, he gets carted off and then he gets, gets into the ambulance and then he goes, goes away. Unfortunately, he passed away about two weeks after that. So he had a big collapse and, you know, uh, I think he had uh, some internal bleeding. You know, he, he must have fallen over, had a cardiac event. But I wasn't really told after. Mm. But that was kind of like, it was rare, but it, it, it happened more often. That, so that, that, that kind of doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like, not everyone on my case died. But there was like an understanding that there's a <clears throat> chance that a lot of them can. You know, so he was one of like, six or seven people that I mm -hmm. was in my care that kind of passed away. A lot of them in their sleep, you know, I'd come in and, you know, the family already there and they say, oh, you know, he's passed mm -hmm. on. So, but that was one of the only ones where I kind of shit myself and just was just like, oh my God, I need, I, I needed to do something different. You know, mm -hmm. um, my, my tolerance for death kind of got yeah. to that, to that level. It's like, I can't deal with it because I got to know them. And it's you know? the emotion, a lot of the emotions from the family. And as you say, yeah. you get to know this person. And yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's no, no blame ever came my mm -hmm. way, but it was like, I got to know these people so well. Like they would tell me their history and where they came from and what they did, you know, and, and what they were when they were younger. They talked about their wives, they, you know, all mm -hmm. these things. And, you know, you, you build a relationship with them. And then, you know, when they pass on, it, 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 it's a significant thing. You know, and and I kind of was quite tired of that after all, and then moved on, moved away, and did you know pursued nursing, mm. you know. So that was kind of my previous jobs, you know. It wasn't extensive, not extensive, but it sucked ass, yeah. you know. For me, the thing is, if I look, you know, all the jobs I've done, the bakery stands out a lot, it, even though it was not directly related to nursing. But four walls, no windows. Early starts, hard work, hot environment, you know, same three people for the whole day. Are you sure you weren't working in an inpatient unit? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very much like an inpatient unit, uh, my friend. <laughs> but it was just that routine, man. You know, you know, you had a routine of what products like bread to bring out at what time. You know, if a person comes at seven o'clock for the white bread, they want the white bread at seven o'clock. Racist. What about the brown bread? <laughs> There's plenty of brown bread here, bro. Eleven o'clock, bro. No. I, want the, I want the white bread, brother. But, 
you know, so you had to do the same routine day in, day out, year in, year out, you know, and, and that's what got me because I'm a person that likes diversity, you know, that's what I love of mental health nursing, you know, I'm driving to people's homes, you know, yep. seeing them in libraries, wherever, but prison cells, yeah, remand, yeah, yeah. McDonald's so, toilets. Yeah. And, <laughs> And, and I also like that all because, you know, you get a bit of paperwork, you know, so working with a computer, doing phone calls, lots of liaison with other services, you know, it's, and it's ever changing. It's not the same, same production day in and out. So appreciate the career in baking, but not for me. No, yeah, no, because um, I can imagine baking is very stressful. Just having to get up at that time to just prep bread, you know. I, I, I fucking hell. I think that was the monoton, monotony that got me. The monotonous? Monotonous, you know, that just... It's the same bullshit. Same yeah. thing day in and day out, you know. So. I get that. I, I need variety too. Yeah, like Five years this... later, I was like... Wow. Couldn't remember if I placed salt in the dough, you know, was it yesterday, the day before, the year before? Because you just became so good mm. at it, bro. You just kept fucking just making two different kinds of breads <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh. So, we've sort of discussed a lot of in-depth content you know but you know what i actually really want to know how's your fucking bees bro how's your bees because because Hunker, pe- hunkering down for winter <laughs> so but they're good i want i want to know because yeah. you <laughs> just to switch it up a bit because we've been talking about very intense yeah, shit yeah. you know but you're, you're a prolific beekeeper it's a hobby that you really enjoy and you've had you've gone through some shit yeah. So I want to know, man. I haven't talked. I haven't yeah. asked you about your bees in a while. How is your beehives going? Um, they're going good. Beekeeping, to be honest, is not as easy as I thought when I went into it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like nursing. <laughs> Just fucking you know, winging it, bro. Just I fucking winging it. Bought my first beehive maybe three years ago, and I thought I'm gonna have honey for you know for Africa. You know, I could just see the beehive, see the honey. I'm just, just giving honey. You see the sea of honey, honey just fucking floating in your dreams. <laughs> Manuka honey, you name it. And then I realized, you know, there's a lot of uh, rules and regulations, but aside that, a lot of pests and diseases that the bees get and they basically devastate the beehive so i went from one hive splitting it making new beehives all the way to five hives and then suddenly realizing that i'm losing beehives because i went too quick too fast too excited too green and (laughs) so i've got two left now shit and that's two from how much was your your original um, colonies i I had like five hives and also giving hives away right right but I've slowed down a lot, man. So now I'm just taking it season by season. Lots of learning. Mm. You know, YouTube clubs. I've done a few courses. Um, but there's so many diseases associated with beekeeping. I couldn't believe it. You know, like going from bees robbing other beehives. Wasps, you know, taking and flying off with your bees. Moths invading your beehive, you know, eating your comb. Who knew a bee can't stop a moth, you know? Yeah, honeybees. Um, <laughs> honeybees are not really the most aggressive little bees, are oh, they? Then you have mites on your bees. And the question is, how do you kill a mite of a mite? You know? Um, how do you, how do you, oh, sorry. How do you kill an insect from off, off an insect, another insect? You know? So that's the, the question there. But, yeah, so I've just slowed down a lot. So, yeah. so I, I do have to say, the last batch of honey you gave me was a, a hit in the home. Everyone loved it. That's good. Yeah. Um, maybe we start. Maybe we start a segment every now and then when you got a new update. We'll 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 hear Keep about LJ's days. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. Yeah. 
I think we've had a lot of great discussions tonight, you know, very in-depth, and hopefully a lot of people will get a lot from this, and we'll, we'll leave the rest for another episode, huh? 